we'll be looking at some of the curriculum from our discipleship counselor training class uh, number 31. And um, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 3. And we're in the section, and actually we, we started it uh, some, what, six, seven weeks ago, uh, live uh, in this room. Uh, when I say live in this room, this room was filled with uh, students, praise God, uh, as well as online. And... Um, <clears throat> And so now we've had to, you know, continue this uh, live streaming. And um, we're talking about uh, what is man. Um, and I know that most questions that people ask have, have to do with identity, who, who am I, or purpose, as we like to say, why am I? Those are the two more prevalent questions. People want to know why they're here or who they really are, their identity. What we've learned from the scriptures is that until you know what you are, uh, you'll never know who you are, and until you know who you are, you'll never know why you are. And so in our exhaustive uh, study of, of answering this question from the Word of God, what is man, we've come to this uh, final point, and that is uh, man is a three-yet-one being, a tri-three-yun-one being. And to simplify that, um, we could just simply say it this way, you are a three dimensional being. You are a three-dimensional being. And I don't just mean uh, physical dimension. Uh, you're much more than a, a physical dimensional being. Amen. Praise God. They're getting me lined up here, so is that better? Amen. All right, praise God. All right, you are, uh, I don't just mean three physical dimensions. Um, three-dimensional being in the sense that you are uh, a spirit that possesses a soul that lives inside of a physical body. So you are a three-dimensional being, but the sad thing about it is most people only think of themselves as being one-dimensional. And, um, and, and so what I mean by that is they, they don't understand the differences between spirit and soul and the, and, and the differences between, like for instance, the physical brain and the mind. They're not the same thing. So when we, we talk about being a three-dimensional being, you are a spirit. The real you is a spirit being. Amen. And that spirit being possesses something the Bible calls a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses, or also your mind, uh, emotions, and will, the thoughts, uh, the feelings, and the choices. And then all of that's like a hand in a glove, with the glove being your physical body, your flesh, your five senses are also a part of your physical body. Now, Here's a very important point, and, and I know that some of this is review, I'm saying it different ways. Um, you are a three-dimensional being, uh, but you will never understand three-dimensional living with a one-dimensional mindset. In other words, if, if you only look at things from a, a perspective of one dimension and never understand the other aspects of, of your uh, being, then uh, you're, you're going to be confused by a lot of things in life but you're also going to be confused by a lot of things in the Scriptures. Because Father God did not send His Word to you as a one-dimensional being. He sent His Word to you as a three-dimensional being. And so there are aspects of the Bible that deal specifically with your spirit. There are aspects of the Bible that deal specifically with your soul. And there are parts, aspects of the Bible that, that deal specifically with your flesh. And if you don't understand the difference between those three things, again, you're going to be very 
confused. Now, Nicodemus is a classic example of one-dimensional thinking. So when we say a one-dimensional mindset, one-dimensional thinking, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And because Nicodemus only thought in one dimension, and that dimension being his flesh or physical body, he asked Jesus, how can a man, when he's old, go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Again, notice he's trying to understand uh, three-dimensional truth from a one-dimensional mindset. And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's one dimension. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's another dimension. Amen. And so as he began to explain these things to Nicodemus, and of course recorded for us in John chapter 3, um, we have a great understanding of what it means uh, to be born again to receive salvation. He's not talking about your outward dimension being born again. And for that matter, he's, he's really not even talking about your soul being born again. Uh, but specifically talking about your spirit, the deepest part of you, is the part of you that was born a second time uh, from a different seed. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 3, it says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And if you'll notice, in this particular uh, uh, slide that I put up here, uh, beside flesh I put body, beside mind I put soul, and beside nature I put spirit. This is talking about, again, these three dimensions. All right. So the pneuma is your spirit, that's your nature. Suche, also known as your soul, this is where the thinking takes place. And then uh, your soma, your body, uh, this is where our behavior. So notice that he says, before we all conducted ourselves, too much your conduct, your behavior, we behaved according to the lust of our flesh, that was our body. And we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and the mind. As I like to say, your flesh had a willing participant when we were living in sin and living as sinners, and that would be our, our mind or our soul. And we're by nature, um, and this is speaking of your spirit, children of wrath just as the others. Now, let me, um, let me do a quick review, okay? And I, I know we've reviewed this, and I, again, I'm not apologizing for reviewing this to me. What we're talking about tonight and the last couple of weeks, some most important things you can ever understand. There are so many people who've been born again who are not enjoying their salvation because they don't understand what happened to them when they received that salvation and became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so the quick review is this. Uh, first of all, Jesus saved us, but not just saved us from our sin. He saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. Right? The next thing we talked about is the new birth is a literal experience. It's not, it's not figurative. It's literal. In other words, you were literally born a second time from a different seed. Now, we've also said that seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Jesus didn't just come to change our minds. He didn't just come to change our behavior. He came to change our nature. He came to recreate us. And the way we were recreated by Him was we were given the opportunity to be born a second time of the incorruptible seed of God. Amen. All this is found in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter uh, anyway, praise God, I'm not going back over all those verses. 
Now, notice it says in the passage we looked at, we were by nature sons of disobedience and uh, children of wrath. So uh, we were by nature children of wrath. We were, uh, other verses say that we were sons of disobedience. Not just that, I'm not saying that we haven't sinned. I'm not saying that I haven't sinned. But again, we were the offspring of sin. Now, we also see that having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, we are now partakers of the divine nature. Okay, this is what we find in, uh, in 1 Peter 1, 23. We, we, we see uh, that we've been born a second time of an incorruptible seed. And then in 2 Peter 1, uh, I think it's verse 3 and 4, right in there we see that we've become partaker of the divine nature of God. Now, let me put another slide back up here. We said that um, the only way to change this orange to an apple um, is to change the seed that produced it. Now, when we talk about the nature of a thing, we're talking about the essence of what it is. And you can paint this orange red, you can put a stem on it and a leaf on it, but if you break it open, it's still an orange on the inside. And not only is it still an orange on the inside, the seed of orange is still in it. Okay? But the Bible says in 1 John 3 that as born-again believers, the seed of God now as new creations in Christ Jesus, it abides in us. All right? Now, again, I know we missed a week last week, and so I just it's been a couple of weeks, so just bear with me now as we continue to review some of these things because we're building towards a certain point. So the next thing by way of review is that we said it was not your sin that made you a sinner and it was not your good works that made you righteous. It was Adam's sin that made you a sinner. I'm talking about by nature, a sinner. We were born of his corrupted seed. And the Bible is full of verses. We didn't even look at them all, but the Bible is full of verses that prove this and bear this out. Okay, But also we see that in the same way that it was not your sin that made you a sinner it was Adam's sin that made you a sinner it's not your good works that makes you righteous um, we were in Adam when Adam sinned this is the the power of a seed we were in Adam in seed form when he sinned and so all the seed of Adam was corrupted but we've now been born a second time of an incorruptible seed and we are in Christ and Christ is in us amen and it was his good works it was his uh, um, obedience, if you will, that has made me and you righteous. Praise God. Now, let's, um, let's do this. And I know that, let me, can I talk to you just for a minute, okay? Um, I am, I'm very thankful uh, for my upbringing. Um, I had parents that, that, that raised me in church, amen. Uh, my brother sometimes says it this way, he says, we were raised Christian, and we were raised Christian. I promise you we were. And I'm very thankful for that. And I have had the, uh, the, the privilege and, and, and continue to have the privilege and, and, and blessing of, of many uh, friendships uh, with, with brothers and sisters that are a part of and ministers in uh, a whole bunch of different denominations, okay? Um, initially we, we were Southern Baptist and I thank God for what my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters taught me. Um, we then were Assemblies of God. My first uh, ministry position was in the Church of God and uh, I did a 
a lot of ministry in the Methodist churches when I was a teenager. So I've, I've, I have had a lot of experience with a lot of uh, what I call denominational doctrine. And obviously, uh, what, the, what our Methodist brothers believe is slightly different than what our Baptist brothers believe and, and our Assemblies of God brothers and, and, and all of that. And, and I understand that even as some of you as my friends or people that have known me from the past watching this tonight. Not, I'm not trying to offend you, okay? I'm not trying to, uh, you know, um, say things that frustrate you, but I, I'm asking you tonight to keep an open heart and mind. It's, it's so many times we, you know, we hear things and hear things and hear things from one perspective our whole life, and, and um, I had a man that heard me teaching this one time, and he said, he came up to me after, he said, Pastor Mark, he said, I, I appreciate the sermon, he said, I've believed what you said my whole life, but I never knew why I believed it, okay? And, and so a lot of times, you know, if, if, if we were raised in one denomination or, 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 you know, taught, you know, one perspective our whole life, we just tend to believe that perspective without ever maybe looking at some of the bigger picture of things, okay? So not trying to, uh, again, frustrate you or, or, or offend you, but I, I want you to know uh, the, and understand the truth, okay? So, the new birth is a literal experience, okay? And we said that, you know, the question is, whose sin made me a sinner? And it was Adam's sin. Why? Because we were all in Adam when Adam sinned. Whose obedience made, made you and me righteous? It was Jesus' obedience. Why? Because we received for ourselves what Jesus did for us as our substitute, and we are now in Christ, okay? Now, let's get to this next slide. Are you ready? Seed determines the nature of a thing. We've already established that, okay? Seed determines the nature of a thing. You can't change the nature of a thing unless you change the seed that produced it, right? But we also now are adding to this statement. Seed determines the nature of a thing, and nature transcends behavior. Nature transcends behavior now that word transcends i'm not trying to use big words like mayonnaise on you but that word transcends it means it goes beyond the limits of if something transcends another thing it means that that thing is greater than or more powerful than so when we say seed determines the nature of a thing and nature transcends behavior we're saying that the nature of a thing is greater than that thing's behavior we're saying that the nature of a thing is more powerful than that thing or that individual's behavior. Okay? Now, we're also saying, are you ready? We're saying that behavior cannot change the nature of a thing. If, 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 the nature, if nature transcends behavior, in other words, if, if nature is greater than, more powerful than, goes beyond the limits of behavior, then this means behavior is less than the nature of a thing and therefore powerless to change it. Okay? Now, this is not to say, I know for some of you who, you know, be ready, you know, to just move on to somebody else on Facebook right now, and that's fine, but just hold with me for just a minute. This is not to say that behavior is not powerful and important. It is powerful. It is important. It's just not as powerful as nature. Okay? As the nature of a thing. Certain behaviors, even for a born-again believer, can produce all kinds of negative consequences in your life and even shorten your life uh, 
and, and bring uh, premature death. In other words, there are certain things that a born-again believer can do that will shorten, even end their life. Okay? But, but when the Bible speaks of those things bringing death, the death that it's referring to is physical death. It's not speaking of spiritual death. Okay? Now, let me try to go back to the whole apple and orange thing. And that's one of the reasons I was wanting to mention it um, in uh, my introduction. Okay? So I'll put the picture back up on the screen. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment, all right? Um, it does not matter how much an orange tries to look like and act like an apple. It will never be an apple unless it is produced a second time from a different seed. You see, religion, hear me now, religion focuses on the outward conformity of people. Religion says, look like this, act like this, do this. In other words, they're trying, religion tries to conform us into an outward image. Jesus didn't come to try to first conform you into an outward image. He came to transform you inwardly so that once He puts His nature in you, you have a foundation inside of you for it to grow up into, to renew your mind to, 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 to put on Christ and to, to imitate, uh, become an imitator of Him. Praise God. Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola, they, 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 I've, I've shared this numerous times, but they talk about this wrong understanding people have of, of, of the Gospel. And they believe that the Gospel, and again, this is religion's influence on the Gospel. They, they say that, that they, they present it this way. People, people talk about the Christian life as you got to be like Jesus, you got to be like Jesus, you got to be like Jesus. Jesus is the greatest person, best person ever lived. Um, and that's, that's a tall order uh, to be like Jesus. They compare it to, in, in, in their book, The Jesus Manifesto, they compare it to a, a young uh, piano player being told over and over and over again to be like Beethoven. Be like the greatest piano player, one of the greatest piano players that ever, that ever sat down you know, to the keys. Well, again, that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is Beethoven coming to live inside of that piano player and playing the piano through them. You see, Jesus came to put His nature in you, His seed in you, His life in you, and then we begin this discipleship process of learning how to let Him live through us, for us to walk in step with Him, to be, to, to be led by Him and His Spirit. Amen. So, when we, when we talk about you know, religion, religion tries to focus on the outward conformity of people. Jesus didn't come to, to try to get you to conform. He came to transform you from the inside out. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They were a picture of an apple. I mean, they were outwardly they looked like the, the, the best apple you could ever imagine, but he said they were like tombs that were freshly painted on the inside, on the outside rather, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. Now, doesn't matter, again, let's go back over it, because this is where <coughs> this is where I, again I think people get confused. It doesn't matter how much the orange tries to look like and act like an apple, it can never be an apple by trying to look like one and act like one. Alright? Now, 
If that's true, then the, and it is, then the opposite is true. Doesn't matter how much an apple still behaves orange-like. Some of you are already getting ahead of me. I'm trying to ease you into this now. Doesn't matter how much the apple still acts like an orange. An apple can't change its nature by behaving like an orange any more than an orange can behave its nature by trying to act like and look like an apple. Okay? Now, let's, let's break this down. Some people would say, well, if you're really an apple, you'll live like one. Amen. I've, I've had people say, you know, if you were really born again, you wouldn't want to do that. If you were, if you were, really, if you were really saved... Uh, if you had really received Jesus, you still wouldn't have those desires. Man, what universe are you living in? Right? That's such an arrogant, judgmental statement to people. You know, I, I work with a lot of men and women who are fighting the good fight of faith against addiction. And, 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 um, and I'll, just, I'll be honest with you, sometimes they talk about you know, going home and being, being a part of Mom and M's church. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. Because a lot of them folks in Mom and Them's church, you know, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't want to do that, you know. It's like, well, if, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't want to eat all them donuts. Amen. Come on now. See, it's real easy to judge somebody who you think their, their sin that besets them or their weakness of their flesh. Notice I said weakness of their flesh, right? Um, that somehow that makes you better than them. Well, amen. I'm getting stirred up here. Let me try to settle back down. So, let's do it this way. Is a man who is by nature a sinner capable of doing good works? Not a trick question. The answer is absolutely. Absolutely. People who have never been born again are capable of helping children. People who have never been born again are, 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 are capable of, 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 of being kind and, and nice. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, what I've experienced in life is um, you know there can be good moral people who are actually more kind and generous and helpful uh, to um, to other people than someone who's been born again. I have friends who who work in the restaurant industry. Um, one dear sister, she's worked at Cracker Barrel for many many years, and she'll tell you her least favorite day to work is Sunday lunch. Not because she hates to miss church or work on a Sunday. It's because she has to deal with all the people who just got out of church. She'll tell you how rude they are. She'll tell you how cheap they are. Um, how just, you know, condescending they are. So, you know, you, you can... In other words, what am I trying, what's the point I'm trying to make? You, sometimes you take a good moral person that's never been born again. They're better tippers, more merciful towards servers in a restaurant or, or, or what have you. Um, than, than, than folks who have uh, been born again. And those people are sometimes hard to reach, uh, that are good moral people. Uh, they, don't see their, they don't necessarily see a need for a Savior. Well, I'm getting too far off course. So let me go back to the question. Is a man who is by nature a sinner capable of doing good works? And, and the answer um, is yes. Okay? But so let's, next question. Can a man who is by nature a sinner ever do enough good works to change his nature from sinner to saint? Again, it's not a trick question. The answer to that is no. No. And so, you know, I, I, could, I, could, uh, I could preach that in just about any church uh, in Alabama, and, and folks would, uh, would agree, and they would uh, amen me. Now, 
let's, let's look at it a little deeper. Is a man who is by nature a saint capable of behaving in a sinful way? Again, not a trick question. Yes, absolutely. Who is by nature a saint. See, that's what the Bible says about your new nature. Okay? So is a man who is by nature a saint capable of behaving in a sinful way? Right? And the answer to that is yes. Now, here is the question. Why are we so quick to think bad behavior can change a saint right back into a sinner? What's the point? The point is, seed determines the nature of a thing. Seed determines the nature of a thing, and nature transcends behavior. Nature, the nature of a thing, is greater than, it's more powerful than the behavior of a thing. So again, I could preach in just about any Christian church in Alabama that there's no way a sinner could ever do enough good works to, uh, to, to change his nature from sinner to saint. And I would get amens or, or Baptist nods or whatever in any church I preach that in. But, but notice now, we don't, we don't reverse that. We think that someone who has been born again and is by nature um, a saint can commit one sin. Some people believe to commit one sin and they go right back to being a sinner. And that is just simply not, <laughs> praise God, how it is. Okay? Let's go back to, and I, I, I meant to make this point. I really felt like the Holy Spirit was, was breathing on this uh, uh, earlier this afternoon. Um, somebody, it's for everybody, but somebody out there specifically uh, needs to hear this because you've been told things like if you really were saved, um, you wouldn't do those things, or if you really were. Uh, but see, again, um, to, to simply say that um, if you really... If you are really an apple, you would live like one, okay? That might be true if you were a one-dimensional being. See, this is, this is where one-dimensional thinking and a one-dimensional perspective on the Word of God uh, really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it, it really cripples people. Uh, in, in words, it, it sounds so logical, right? What am I going to say? Some of you know what I'm fixing to say. If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it must be a duck. Okay. Again, that is the epitome of one-dimensional thinking. You are not a one-dimensional being. Okay. Remember, your behavior is something that takes place in a, a completely different dimension than your spirit. And if you think I'm just like coming out of left field with all these things, do you remember what Paul said in Romans 7? He talks about the sin that he still struggled with, and he said that when he did that sin, it was not him who did it. He recognized that it was another dimension of his existence. Okay? It wasn't him that did it. Okay? <laughs> we'll get to that later. I know some of you are like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Well, just hang in here with me. All right? So, if, if a man can never do enough good works to change his nature from sinner to saint, why do we think a saint could ever do enough wrong to change his or her nature back from saint to sinner. You see, behavior cannot change nature, but a new nature becomes the foundation for righteous behavior. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. And when we understand how God created us, what you do does not determine who you be. Who you be determines what you do. Okay? Now, let's go back to some things that 
Some of you have heard me say so many times over the years, you can say them with me, you can say them over and over again, and that's great. Somebody, I, I forget who started it, uh, but somebody started on Facebook. Let's see how, how well you know Pastor Mark. And, um, and everybody started kind of filling in uh, the different things, you know, that I say. Um, and, man, I, I, I think I responded to that, something to the effect of it. I was, I was laughing and crying um, at, at the same time. Uh, and so this, I, I read the list pretty carefully. You guys left some of them off. I'm not going to tell you which ones if you want to go back and revisit that. But anyway, um, but remember, discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right. Let me go back to the drawing. Let's go back to the drawing. Praise God. Um, everybody good? Everybody blessed? Amen. I can hear you saying yes and amen and nodding uh, with your hand in a potato chip bag. All right. Let's go back to it. Okay. Now, amen. Your behavior will always line up with your thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as I like to say, your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true, what you think to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't true. Okay? This is why you say, well, Pastor Mark, if everything you're telling me, I really am a saint, I've, I've been uh, made a new creation in Christ Jesus. He, he didn't just say you've been made a new creation. He said old things have passed away and all things have become new. Obviously, that doesn't apply here. That doesn't apply here. It absolutely applies here. You say, well, if that's the case, why am I not living it here? Again, your behavior lines up with what you think or believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't the truth. This is why discipleship at its core is the renewing of the mind, where we begin to think of ourselves and see ourselves in light of this reality as opposed to this reputation. Man, I love to explain these things to people because there's very few things that I know of in the Word of God that we can embrace with faith and believe that will make a greater difference in our daily life reality and our daily victory in life. Amen? Amen, amen. All right, now, praise God. Let's, um, <clears throat> so let's go back to it then. What you do does not determine who you be. And all the different ways that I love to explain and define discipleship. Again, discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. You became something that you weren't the day you were born again. We tend to know more about the person we were than the person we became, and therefore we still tend to live like the person we were instead of the new creation that we now are. Okay? Again, if you don't understand three-dimensional, if you look at this in one-dimensional, you know, you say, well, gosh, man, I'm still struggling in my flesh. I, I still struggle with some of those old behaviors. And, and um, I'm not trying to give you an excuse here to continue in those behaviors. They have consequences. But what I'm trying to help you understand is that those behaviors were powerless to change your nature from bad to good, and they're powerless to change your nature from good to bad. Amen. All right, praise God. Maybe enough of that for now. So, let me get back to where we are. I know we're getting a little low on time. So what the Bible teaches us is that seed reproduces after its kind. Seed reproduces after its kind. Turn with me now, and let's work our way through some of these verses, um, and then we'll, we'll 
call it a night. Um, praise God. I didn't look at my watch when we started, so uh, maybe that was on purpose, maybe not. I'm just kidding. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. There's a lot of verses uh, that get kind of heavy in, in here on all this. But let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and let's begin at verse number 22. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 22. We'll look at verse 22, then we'll skip down to verse 45. All right. So let's begin at 1 Corinthians 15, 22. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and um, let's begin at verse number 45. Quite a few verses here um, that we're going to look at, um, so let's begin. The, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Okay. So obviously, the first Adam is the Adam in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. There's a lot of biblical uh, correlation there between verse 46. The one I want to point out to you is Jesus said you must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom. So you, you're born naturally and then once you're born naturally then you are born a second time spiritually. Let's keep moving to um, verse number 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So notice now, you know, we've covered this before, so I'll be brief here. Um, a lot of times, you know, the world likes to say we're all God's children. Well, from a creation standpoint, that, that may be true. That's really, that's, that's playing fast and loose with the Scriptures, though. Because the Bible teaches that it's those who've been born of God, not just created by God, but those who are born of God that are the sons and daughters of God. So notice, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And, so we're, we're not just born of that first seed. But we've been born a second time, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. You know, in 1 John it says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. All right, let's move on, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So a moment ago, I, there was one last thing I wanted to say about discipleship just by way of review. Discipleship is about a lot of things. One of the main things, we said renewing of the mind, but also through the renewing of the mind, this enables the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. Not an outward conformity, but an, out, an outward expression of an inward reality. Jesus transformed you inwardly. Now, discipleship is through the renewing of the mind. You can't live beyond your thinking. 
but as the mind is renewed, that inward reality of the new birth and righteousness and all of those things becomes an outward expression of our uh, daily life. And so again, we have borne the image of the man of dust. This is talking about fallen Adam. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. So remember, we were born of the corrupted seed of Adam. The corrupted seed of Adam cannot inherit the incorruptible kingdom of God. We must, again, be born again. Praise God. Amen. Let's, um, I mentioned this verse, let's, let's plow ahead just a little bit more. 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Um, some years ago, I was preaching from 1 Corinthians 15, and, and again, rightly so, there was no uh, real contention in the, in the comments, but there were some people who were present and listening, and they said, well, Pastor Mark, this sounds like, you know, bearing the image of the heavenly man is, is something that is futuristic. In other words, that now we're bearing the image of Adam, but it, it won't be until we get to heaven one day that we'll bear the image of the heavenly man. Well... I understand, again, grammatically how you could uh, maybe think that way based upon how it's worded in 1 Corinthians. But remember, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And 1 John 4 and 17 clearly says, not as He is, um, we will one day be in heaven, but as He is, so are we in this world. Jesus is the light of the world, but he, the light of the world called you the light of the world. Amen. So... He says, again, let men see your good works. You let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. So he's talking about something that we do from within ourselves, amen, that uh, illuminates the hearts and lives of other people. All right, um, one last thing, and this will get us to a good jumping off point for next week. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Ephesians... Um, 2 and 11. Alright? Now, let me... Before I read these verses, it'll maybe help you connect with why we're turning there if I give you a little bit of background on what's being dealt with here. <clears throat> God called... Um, he was Abram in those days. He changed his name. God changed his name to Abraham. God called Abram out of Ur of Chaldees. And, of course, we know the story. Hopefully you know the story. He called him out. Abram said, where are we going? And God said, I'll show you when we get there. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and what we see, of course, is that Father God was, was, was separating from all the other people on planet Earth a special uh, race of people, the descendants of Abraham, biological descendants of Abraham, unto himself. Um, and we see, of course, that among other things, God's plans for our Jewish brothers and sisters is obviously not, not finished according to Scripture. But we see that one of the key and most important aspects of that was to preserve um, a, a, a race, a tribe of people, a nation of people uh, on the earth through which Father God could one day bring His Son um, to the earth. And so we see that there was a division uh, between uh, Jews Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And it was actually a division 
a separation, we could say, that God created. God designed it. But God's not a God of division in, in that respect. And so what we see is this being dealt with in Father's answer to this, beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. All right? You say, what does it have to do with me, Pastor Mark? It just further emphasizes uh, our new birth and, and the new nature that we receive through that new birth. All right? So Ephesians 2 and 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, notice once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. So you know, one of the key things that designated a Jewish uh, male from all other males is that um, they were circumcised. But notice again, he's emphasizing the difference between the Gentile and the Jew outwardly, in their, in their outward dimension. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What is he saying? He's saying we were outsiders and had no way of becoming insiders. We were separated from God's highest and best and had no way of getting in on it. Okay, until, praise God, until of course we see this very important but now. Verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say amen to that. That's important. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. He didn't just come. This is important. He didn't just come as, as a mediator to negotiate peace, okay, like, like men do, like the world does. Jesus is our peace. There's a difference between him coming to negotiate peace versus him being our peace. How is it that he is our peace? Let's keep reading. Who has made both one, both Jew and non-Jew one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished, let's keep going here, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. What enmity? Again, the enmity that exists between Jew and non-Jew. The difference between uh, that God made when he separated those people out from everyone else to himself. Okay? Now he's saying, how, how do we correct this? How do, we, how do we bring unity here? The unity, again, is not outward and fleshly and physical, it's inward. And the way he did it is to take the Jewish man and the non-Jewish man and have them both be born a second time of the same seed. Man, that just, something just fires me up about that right there. Okay? He himself is our peace who's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So notice verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that's the non-Jewish men and women, and to those who were near, those would be those who were near uh, to God because of their Jewish heritage, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for the things that 
you're helping us embrace and lay hold of. Thank you for the things, Father, that, that you are helping us to correct. Father, I know that in my own personal walk and in, in, in life with you that many, many years um, I believed that you know, if I committed a sin that, that I was no longer uh, born again, I was no longer saved, I was, I was just as bound for hell as I, as I was before I ever called upon your name the first time. And Lord, I lived in such condemnation and, and fear and misery over all of that. I did not enjoy my salvation. And then, Father, you begin to show me these things, begin to help me understand that the new birth, my new birth was a real and literal experience and that, that I'm your son. And um, even though I may at times do things that, that do not please you, it doesn't change that I've been born of your spirit, that I've been born from above. I've been born of your seed and your seed abides in me and so father i thank you for helping folks come to uh these truths and if they already understand these truths that they would um or even like my brother years ago that 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 came up to me afterwards and said he, he believed it father but he didn't know why and now he did so maybe folks have already believed these things but this is helping them really grab hold of your word and truth in a way that's making a difference in their lives but, but father again one of the key factors of discipleship class is that we not just, Lord, learn these things for ourselves, but that we learn them so that we can teach them to others. And so I thank you, Father, for solidifying these things in our hearts and minds so that we can be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks and, Father, to be able to present them in, in meaningful ways to others. Father, thank you for, again, your hand of protection and provision and prosperity and promotion upon this family of faith. Thank you, Father, that Although we don't know when we'll be back together under one roof, we know that we're one day closer to it than we were yesterday. And so it's with great excitement, Lord, that we look forward to um, uh, reconvening here, Lord, on this property. And, um, but Lord, I thank you that in the meantime, uh, your hand's upon us, and we're protected, and we're prospering, and you're using us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You be blessed. We love you. Thank you again for tuning in tonight. We look forward to all gathering together again online Sunday morning at 10.30. Amen. Good things coming.